been a joy to be in the book of Jonah with you. <clears throat> and in my early introduction um, that uh, was uh, a little while back, uh, one of the questions you need to ask is, why is Jonah in the prophetic books? Jonah is a narrative, and very little of what is being said uh, as we think about prophecy, we often talk about the speaking prophets, Elijah, Elisha, and the like. And then we speak about the written, writing prophets that are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and on and on and on. But Jonah barely talks. We even don't know his sermon in Nineveh. So what's, why is he in the minor prophets? And I would suggest to you that he is in the minor prophets because the narrative itself is the prophecy. In other words, Jonah is a representative of the people of God. And what is happening to Jonah is a reflective reality of what is happening in also in the people of God. So if the leaders are such, thus go the people. We, we recognize and realize that as well. And God has always intended from the beginning of Abraham, when he said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and you will bless the nations. That God has constantly called his people then and now, today the church, to be a blessing to the nations to speak and proclaim the truth of the gospel, to live the gospel truth out. And as we, saw, as we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament, <clears throat> Israel continually failed to do that more than they actually did it. And so here's Jonah. We, uh, we don't uh, completely know all the surrounding realities that are going on, but here he is uh, running from the presence of God as God has called him to obey and declare the gospel. Go ye into all the nations and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And yet we don't very often. We'll leave that to the professional pastors. And now we have pastoral staff, where all these different things happen, and the church begins to not do what the church is called to. Because the staff, the professionals, will do it. That's not God's intent for his church. And often we find ourselves in disobedience and running from God. But it's not just running from God, proclaiming. We run from God in our sinfulness. And we talked about how each and every Sunday, God is disciplining his children. He's disciplining them right now to recognize their need for a Savior. And so this morning we find Jonah, uh, this morning, afternoon, you guys have messed me up. I'll just, I'll just, I'm just going to be straight with you guys. You messed me up, right? Uh, I'm not Baptist, so I don't say evening, right? Because we don't have evening services, and uh, we have morning services, but you guys messed me up. Anyway, uh, this afternoon we find Jonah in the belly of a great fish because it was God's command for this fish to come at this moment in time in Jonah's journey, which we see in Jonah chapter 2 reflected this longer journey in a prayer. And it is the grace of God who has caught him. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, would you now grant us power through the Holy Spirit, both to the preacher who has sinful lips and a man of full of sin, a broken vessel, I pray that you would declare 
your glory through the cracks even in his life, but that we would see them as the glory of God, not the goodness of man. May we receive them as grace, and may you work in our lives where we too are broken vessels in which you have chosen to deposit your glory, that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. I pray, Father, that you would have your way with us. Your Holy Spirit would take this word and would uh, take it to each person as a gift. Unwrap it with them and before them and apply it graciously to their hearts and lives wherever they may be. All for the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. I have a friend who uh, I met when he came, him and his wife came to me uh, for counseling as a, as a pastor. And my friend's story went this way. Uh, for quite a while, uh, him and his wife uh, had been married. They were both uh, wonderful Christian people. And then he had an affair. It was a, kind of a one-night stand. It happened two times, and he got away with it. And for years and years and years, there's this gnawing reality of his need to confess. And everything was glorious and wonderful with his family. He was studying the Puritan John Owen, the mortification of sin. And God yelled at him through that book. Go and confess to your wife. What did that mean for my friend? It meant the disruption and the upheaval of his family, of his marriage. But it also meant that he was going to throw himself upon the grace and the mercy of God. And as he confessed that very night, a cry went up from his wife that was probably heard throughout the neighborhood of such profound pain. It took them into a journey of reconciliation and healing to the place and the point where they are probably even a stronger couple now than they ever have been. Often we find ourselves in sinful places. They don't have to be as big as affairs or pornography or uh, stealing or any number of different things. They can just be acts of simple disobedience. Little steps that lead us further and further and further away from God until we find ourselves one morning waking up and we are away from the presence of God, so we think, because of the acts of disobedience. And often we'll cry out to God and we'll say, where did you go? Why did you leave me? And whenever there is a place of wilderness uh, among the people of God, it is always not because God has left, but because we have left God. And God so graciously disciplines his children. And that's a good term. I don't want to use it in a, uh, in a way that it seems harsh or harmful. But it's always loving. It's always gracious as we learned last week. And so God disciplines. And at the end of discipline is grace. 
Last week we looked upon the discipline of God as he used his sovereign works with the storm and, and uh, with the sailors and all of that in the lives of the sailors, in the lives of Jonah. And then they threw him overboard and the, and the, and the sea was stilled. And God was disciplining him. And as, so, as Jonah, as we recognize in this passage, sinks down to the bottom of the depths, there he's caught by grace. And it is the grace of God who catches him. And so how do we respond? How do you and I respond to the discipline of God? It may be in humongous places in our life that are unimaginable that you may not be able to speak at like my friend. Or it may be in little ways in which God is disciplining you right now because he loves you. How do we respond to the discipline of God in our life? And more than the discipline to being caught by grace. Because Jonah hasn't caught a fish. He's been caught by a fish. And that fish is the grace of God. So we see this passage, and I want to uh, show us a number of ways that we can respond in obedience when God begins to show us our sinfulness, begins to discipline us in ways to draw us back to himself. So wherever your heart may be, I pray that the Lord uses that. They're meant to be ours. Some of them are a little bit of a stretch, so if you're an outline type of person, uh, they're kind of ours, Okay. And so we begin. The first thing is, when God gets a hold of your heart, respond rapidly. Do not wait. My friend kept waiting and waiting and going, oh, I'll do it again. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Because it was so painful. It was so hard. It was going to be so disruptive. But God calls us to do it rapidly. I want you to notice where we see this. We see it in verse 1. It comes to us in verse 1 where we read simply this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of a fish. Notice that Jonah didn't wait till he was on dry ground. Jonah knew without a shadow of a doubt that the fish was grace. That God had appointed this fish and that he was alive by the grace of God. And so he doesn't wait and say, when I get to shore, when things are really, really good, I'm going to pray. I will respond to you then. No, he recognizes here and now that God is the one who provided this fish to swallow him. And that is the grace of God. And you'll remember that it is the Lord Jesus Christ who uses this very example to speak of his death and his resurrection, that glorious grace to us pointing to him about the, good, the goodness and grace to God. And, and Jonah doesn't wait. I don't know what it looked like in that fish. It would be a great conversation to have when we get to heaven, right? But here's Jonah in this fish, and he recognizes God's discipline. He recognizes God's grace, and he doesn't need any more uh, uh, any more uh, prying on God's part. He begins to pray. And throughout the scriptures, we are told that our response to the Lord's call, the response to his voice, the response to his discipline, the response to his commands should be quick and should be rapid. And the scripture tells us, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't wait to reconcile for days and weeks to come. Tonight, tonight, 
Do it today. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Make amends, we're told, while you're on your way to court so, so that uh, grace might be actually shown to you. And the point is, don't wait. When God is correcting you, God in his grace will teach you the next steps that you're called to take and respond to him rapidly. Secondly, in your response, reorient yourself towards God. Meaning that as you're coming, recognizing your sin, confess it to God first. And then go to others who have been affected by it. Let me uh, give you uh, uh, an example of this. Sometimes we think that we go to another person, we quickly reconcile with them. But we never do business with God. And so we end up actually often having a faulty reconciliation here. Why? Because we haven't actually gone to God. If we go to God first, God is the one who will always send us, always to reconcile with our brother. But we might not do it the other way around, and we may actually have a faulty reconciliation. A biblical example of that is David and Bathsheba. Psalm 51, I remember uh, a gentleman in my church coming to me and saying, I don't get this. David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. What about Bathsheba? But David is confessing to God. You know where God's going to send him? He's going to send him to Bathsheba. But sometimes we miss out because we go and try to make things right with people and we miss that God, when we go to God first, he will always correct us, discipline us, and equip us to take the next steps. And so first we need to go to God and we need to confess our sins to God because it is God that we have offended for the first and foremost and it is he who not only disciplines, it is he who forgives us and it is he who grants us the grace that we need to take steps of obedience towards others. Jonah will eventually go to Nineveh, but right now he needs to do business with God. The third thing, when God calls us, uh, when he disciplines us and when he grants us grace, is that we need to recall, if you will, our journey. What does that mean? We see that in verses 2 through 9. Jonah is recalling his journey of desperation and God's pursuing grace. Now we often see this as Jonah describing his, his sinking to the bottom of the depths. But you can look at it in a different way. It is absolutely him speaking about him going down to the depths of the earth, to the, to, the, uh, to the roots of the mountains and all of that. But it's also his movement away from God. This is where I was headed. This is where I was going. And then you, oh God, caught me. And in recalling, there are a number of things that what, what, we, actually, uh, what we actually recall is the lessons that we have learned. Now, many of you as parents will talk to your kids and you'll say something like this. Now, tell me what you learned. I don't know. Did you learn anything? Yeah. Well, tell me what you learned. What you're actually asking them to do is to recall why they're in trouble, 
to recall the harm they've done, recall their need for repentance, recall the grace that God has given them, and then recall the steps that need to happen, right? And we say that to our children because we want them to actually learn. We want them to know why they are being disciplined, and we want them to learn from that discipline. It's easy when we get caught doing something wrong in order to avoid further embarrassment to quickly say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? But there are times when in our haste and uh, in our uncomfortableness to be, because we're caught, we're actually not really sorry. We just want to not be embarrassed anymore. But when we go and we truly reconcile with another person, we actually allow them to speak to us. And in their speaking and their telling their story about the conflict we have together, we begin to hear their heart, their brokenness, and the wounds that we have often caused. And when we recall those to another person and we speak it back to them, brother, I hurt you. And I recognize that what I said to you at that meeting really damaged your soul. But it's worse than that. I actually meant to do that. And I'm so sorry. Because I recognize that it damaged your heart. But you went from that meeting and you spoke to your wife in profound pain. And you came back and you said, boy, my wife is so distressed because pastor said this. And I recognize that my damage and my harm went into your family. Would you forgive me? Because I am telling you what I've heard from your heart and what I need you to hear that I'm responding to. Now, a great confession like that says, boy, he got it. He heard me. He heard the effects and the ripples of the pain that I caused. And then you continue. Is it okay? If it's okay with your wife, I'd like to go and confess to her. Why? Because I hurt her too. Because I hurt you. Right? And all of a sudden, when a person's hearing that confession, what are they hearing? He got it. He knows that what he did was wrong. He even spoke beyond it to the motives of his heart. Why? Because he wanted to be cleansed. And so here, Jonah begins to speak to God. He acknowledges first his sin. Notice what he says in verse, verse 8. He said, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. And you might say, well, that's not really speaking about his sin. It is because he recognizes that his sin has brought him to this place. And that the grace of God is so amazing, even within being caught in this fish, that those who actually regard idols have absolutely no hope at all. But he has hope. Why? Because God brought him to this place of confession of his sin. So he acknowledges his sin. He knows that it is his sin that has brought him into this situation. It's not like Jonah woke up on a beautiful Sunday morning like this in the middle of a fish. He got there because of his own sin. And he begins by acknowledging that and acknowledging the grace of God and healing him. 
In, in that, he also acknowledges his journey, verses 2 through 7. He recalls this brush with death. He says, I was sinking down to the depths of the belly of hell, to the roots of the mountains. The waters closed in over me to take my life and seaweed, seaweed wrapped around my head. And I went down to the land which bars closed upon me forever. And my life was fainting away. Now, was that just his journey to the bottom of the sea? Or was that actually a recognition of his sinfulness and his desire to run from God? The psalmist says, when I kept quiet, my bones wasted away. And he said, it's at that point where you let me go that my prayer went up to you. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and out of the belly of Sheol I cried. I remembered the Lord, and my prayers came to you, to God's holy temple. And then notice the third thing in his recalling. He, he recalls God's sovereign right to punish him, but also God's giving of grace. Notice God's sovereign right he said, then I said, I have been driven away, verse 4, I have been driven away from your sight. What seemed like punishment was actually the desire of his heart in chapter 1. I want to flee from God's presence. But all of a sudden, God showed them, that's not what you want. And he said, now I've been driven away from the sight of God. And, jo uh, and uh, Jonah acknowledges that his, what his sin actually deserves. What he's actually saying here is, I deserve, to be, uh, I deserve to be sent from your presence. I have been driven away from your sight. But then he says, God's severe mercy came. And it came in the form of a severe grace. You cast me into the deep, verse 3. Your waves, your billows, they passed over me. And what he's recognizing is that in all of these horrible realities, God is the one who was seeking him to draw him back. And then notice God's redemption, verse 6. At the roots of the mountain, I went down into the land whose bars closed in upon me forever. And yet... You brought my life from the pit, O Lord. You brought my life from the pit, O Lord. David says that in Psalm 51, doesn't he? When he's confessing his sin to God, his sin with Bathsheba. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. And then what does he say? He says, O God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, our Arminian brothers would say, uh, sisters would say he's seek, he, he, he loses his salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. I don't mean to, uh, uh, but nothing could be further from the truth. What he's actually saying is this. I know that your Holy Spirit won't be taken from me, but that's what I deserve. I'm acknowledging to you that I deserve for you to absolutely let me go to hell. I deserve to have your spirit taken from me. I deserve to have the kingship and your anointing taken from me. I deserve that. And in that, in that statement, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What he's actually saying is, God, I know you won't. 
because you're gracious. But I want you to know that that's what I deserve. And it's wonderful to recognize when we deserve something, it's then that we begin to see the wonderful grace of God. The fourth R is simply this. We respond rapidly. We reorient to God and confess our sin to him. We recall the lessons we've learned from our journey. And then finally, we repent and return. Verse 9. We see Jonah's response to the Lord's discipline turning from prayer to an act, action of repentance. Verse 9, But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to our God. Isn't it interesting that in chapter 1, at the end of chapter 1, the sailors are giving sacrifices of thanksgiving and making vows unto the Lord. Jonah had already made a vow unto the Lord, had disobeyed it. Now with thanksgiving, he returns to his vow and he says, I will make right what you have uh, called, what the vows that I have made to you. And so Jonah promises two things. First of all, he promises a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And second, he says that I will fulfill the vows that I had promised uh, God to fulfill. And for Jonah, this is a directional change. He is moving from sin unto righteousness. He is going to do what God has called him to do. So let me ask us this morning, as we think about this act of repentance, first of all, think of your life. Think of the areas where God might be disciplining you. Maybe it's just the beginning. You're tempted to go. You're tempted to do something. You're not quite there, but you're, you're so hungry for something to fill your soul that you're ready to go and sin. Maybe God is catching you there. Praise God. Allow yourself to be caught by his grace. Allow yourself to speak to him in, in, in recalling and, and uh, uh, re- quickly and responding to him quickly and saying, God... You know my heart is hungry for this sin. Would you be gracious? Would you keep me from that sin? Deliver me from evil, we pray in the Lord's prayer. But maybe you're in sin right now. In a moment, we will come to the Lord's table. And uh, often when I fence the Lord's table, I will say to believers... If you're here and there's a sin that is more precious to you, even as a Christian, more precious to you than Christ at this moment, then discipline yourself and do not partake until such time that like Jacob you've wrestled with God and are clinging to him for hope and him alone. Why? Because there are times in our life when sin becomes far more precious to us than Christ. And we find ourselves in the grip of sin and delighting in it more than God. And if you're there, maybe God is going to call you to self-discipline yourself this morning until such time that you've wrestled with God. But maybe your journey is not one like my friends of of an affair or, or maybe it's not one of the biggies. 
whatever it is, be it big or small, it's going to separate you from God. And if it's a small one and God is graciously speaking to your heart right now, praise God for that. Isn't that good? That he doesn't let us go very far. But in your act of repentance, I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, offer a sacrifice of praise. Notice that this is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It is a response to the grace of God towards us. It is not a sacrifice for salvation. It is a sacrifice because of salvation. And where do we see that in Scripture? Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is true and proper worship. And what's the sacrifice? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Give yourself to God as a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in repentance in response to his discipline. And then secondly, renew your vows. Renew your vows. What vows? Well, Jonah had probably taken a vow as a prophet to to do what God had called him to, and now he's going to go to Nineveh. That's his vow. But what are your vows? Think about your vows for just a second. Are you faithful to your marriage vows? You took vows before, uh, before a pastor, maybe in a service like this. But now you find yourself... Maybe not committing adultery physically, but in your, in your mind. And you need to renew your vows. You need to renew that commitment that you made to your husband or to your wife. Renew your marriage because it was before God. Remember, a vow is always and always before God. So maybe you need to turn from your sinfulness. Maybe you need to turn from your inactivity. Maybe you need to turn from the busyness of Sunday afternoon football to spend time with your wife or husband. Those things can creep in slowly. They're not bad in and of themselves, but they can become stumbling blocks in our marriage. Maybe your marriage has a number of stumbling blocks And what you need to do is you need to renew your marriage vows. Not necessarily before a pastor, but in obedience to what you said you were going to do before the living God, however many years that might have been. Maybe you need to renew your baptismal vows. Parents, what are those vows? Set a godly example. Pray with and for your children. Teach them the doctrines of your holy religion. Oh my goodness, I haven't done that for years. Renew your vows. God calls you to do that. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. Speak into their lives prophetically from the word of God. Listen to their hearts. Allow them to have a a wonderfully warm place where they can come and confess sin and where you can graciously take them to the Lord for the forgiveness of their sins. Pray with them and for them. Bless them and encourage them. I started uh, 
uh, when I was a, uh, um, a young man, my mother used to bless me. And uh, I had a turmoil uh, in, my, in my youth, and, and my mother would bless me, and she'd bless me with the, the she would sing, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as much as possible, from the day my children were babies in the hospital, pretty much every time I possibly can, even to last night, I placed my hand upon each one of my children's head, and I blessed them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then I add, may he bless you with a godly spouse, guard them and protect them wherever they are this night. Grow them in Christ as he does you. And there'll be times where Kelly and I are in bed and one of my children will come blurry-eyed. I can't sleep. Why? Daddy didn't bless me. Right? I'm just a conduit, just a pipe. The source is God. And we can bless and we can encourage. How about your church vows? Do you promise to support this church in its worship and work to the best of your abilities? To support the church in its worship and work. That be, might be renewing your giving. That might be renewing your service, that might be actually taking on acts of service. What is the best of your ability at this moment? See, that's a different changing reality. For some of you, you guys can't run with the kids in VBS anymore just because you're older. But there's other work for God is calling you to do. Never retire from the work of God. Never retire from what God has called you to. You promised in your vows to this church that you promised to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability. Are you doing that? If you're not, find a place. Turn from your sin and turn to righteous acts where God can use you to serve and bless others. Remember that as your ability changes, as you grow older, make sure your zeal for the Lord, his church, and his mission only grows deeper. Your ability might change to be lesser, but your passion for the mission of God's church should always be growing deeper. Can you say that? And the reason you might not be able to say that or those other vows might be because you're wandering from God. Other things of this world have begun to be take first place and center stage in your life. Repent of them. Ask the Lord to change your heart. Ask, your Lord, ask the Lord to catch you, to renew you, so that you can be used of him. Let's pray. Father, as you come to the table of the Lord, it is the grace often at the end of discipline. For we know that our discipline in and of itself is absolutely nothing. 
It does not earn our salvation. It does not make us better. It does not merit your kindness. It is the grace of God that has come, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who teaches us to say no to godliness and yes to righteousness. So, Father, as we renew our vows, we only renew them, our promises to you. As we repent of our sin, we only do so because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the renewing work of the Holy Spirit, is enabling us to do that. Father, I pray if there, there be those who wrestle, are wrestling with you right now, and that they, like Jacob, would truly wrestle with you. And that at the end of the day, when the sun rises, that they would not let go of you until you bless them. And so, Father, meet us as we come to the table of the Lord. For it is the death and resurrection. It is the three days in the grave. It is a rising in power over sin and death and hell forever that we celebrate at this table. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.